You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to Axe to Grind. My name is Bob. You are listening to The Hardcore Podcast. As we like to do, uh, this is kind of a new idea we're putting out into the ether. Hopefully we'll make it a regular thing. Uh, That's the intention. But you're probably hearing this. Well, I don't know when you're hearing this, but we're launching this on a Saturday, Saturday morning. Uh, I don't know about anybody who is older or younger than me, but I remember all those weird morning, like Saturday, Sunday, weekend morning TV shows that there was just more of a like long form feel to it, right? So uh, that's what you're getting here. Um, Welcome to Axe to Grind, the story of today's episode is going to be on and with the band Rise and Fall. For my money, uh, the best hardcore band from Belgium, a band who was able to combine hardcore punk and metal in a way that was unique, brought a lot of energy, and carried a lot of personality. I think that shows through in today's episode. This is a two-parter. This is the first of two parts. And you kind of get the story from the band themselves of their journey. Um... I think it's a story that's pretty familiar to a lot of people, whether you were in a band or just kind of paid attention to bands. Not this specific, their story, which I hope you enjoy, but just the the general flow. Um, I was really appreciative of how honest and open these guys were. So I want to send a big thank you out to Cedric, Bjorn, and Vince, along with all the other players who uh, played a part in Rise and Fall, Last, you know, certainly not the least Murphy, um, who played drums, especially in this era, J, JP and Wims, uh, who also played a part. Um, anybody I forgot, please uh, excuse me. But I think that this episode uh, captures a lot of the early era of Rise and Fall, the excitement of being in a band, starting a band, <laughs> carrying over what you learned from your earlier projects and uh, how it all bakes in. So without any further ado, this is the story of Rise and Fall. Welcome to Axe to Grind. My name's Bob, and today we'll be telling the story of Rise and Fall. To do that, I feel very fortunate to be joined by three members of Rise and Fall. And let's do the quick intro. Please uh, go around the room as it is and say your name and how old you were when you became a member of Rise and Fall. I'm Bjorn and I was 22 when we started the band. 
I was 23 when we started the band. I'm Vince, by the way. And my name is Cedric. And when I joined Rise and Fall, I was uh, 21. Thank you guys so much for doing this. This is going to be a fun time. Can who wants to tell me? Who wants to tell me how Rise and Fall first started? Bjorn, go over it. Yeah, I, I can. I can tell the story. So, um, actually, all of us were in a band together before Rise and Fall, and me and Vince, we were definitely spending a lot of time together, um, thinking about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to achieve. And um, we really wanted to do a band that was a lot harder, heavier than what we were doing at the time, which is more traditional. And um, we approached two of our friends, uh, Murph and uh, our friend Pedro, to to do a, a new project with us where we could go all out, you know. And so we started practicing with them. And that's how uh, Rise and Fall started late 2002. Okay, wow. So 2002 is earlier than I thought, actually. When was the first Rise and Fall material that got released, Vince? We had a demo written for our first show, which was uh, in, if I'm not mistaken, May uh, 2003. It might might have been a little bit earlier. It might have been March. March, March 2003. March. Uh, by that time, we had like a demo recorded for our first show. And uh, it had four songs and uh, we recorded it in our second guitarist at that time. He had his studio and we recorded those four songs there and uh, we had it out by the first show. So here's, and we're going to get Cedric in later because it's still, this is in the BC before Cedric era, right? (laughs) The band you guys were doing before, you can leave it nameless if you want. We don't what, have to. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was it like? And what what was the music that you guys were, what was the hardcore, you know, scene, the hardcore world, for lack of a better term, around you like that kind of led you to wanting to do something that was heavier? Actually, um, we had been doing that band since 99, if I'm not mistaken, or 2000. And uh, it kind of started after all the bands we did before that kind of fizzled out. And then me and Bjorn got together um, and we wanted to do like a a real hardcore band, preferably a straight edge hardcore band. Mm. And um, at that time, we just started out with a couple of other friends and eventually Cedric uh, joined. But the scene was kind of weird in Belgium where there wasn't that much going on. You know, like you had like, it was pretty like divided. Like there there used to be like a whole, a, a pretty big movement, like the mid nineties towards like 97, 98. And then like by, by the end of 98, it kind of like fizzled out. Like it, yeah, like there weren't that many really big shows, big, big underground shows. Right. And um, the whole vibe here was pretty boring, for lack of a better word, you know? Yeah. But still, like, we loved hardcore and we still do, but we wanted to do a a band. But, like, um, the shows were kind of 
whatever. We had a lot of fun, but it wasn't like we it was we were doing any anything groundbreaking or anything, you know. Yeah. And I think around that around the time that band the deal what was the name yeah uh, started also like uh, in the states you 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 kind of had um, I re- I remember like a really um, important band for that era was American Nightmare that's right and uh, the whole scene in Boston around like Ride Brigade um, and the bands that came from that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, were pretty influential to what everybody was doing in Europe or not what everybody was doing in Europe, but what like some people were doing in Europe. What you guys wanted to do, right? What we wanted to do. Exactly. And then American Nightmare came over on the, on their first Euro tour. Um, the band we were doing at the time, we played a couple of shows with them, I think two. Mm-hmm. And it just like kind of, you know, like how, how you do a band and it's, it's fun, but like, you kind of you you get over it like kind of fast, you know, like because it's not really really going anywhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think it like we did two seven inches, and um, by the time the second seven inch uh, was released, we had Cedric in the band, if I'm not mistaken. I Bjorn? joined after that seven inch. Just after it. Mm. Yeah. yeah and um yeah we we just kind of were over it by the time we were really like getting into it you know what i mean yeah i mean and that band yeah you know? the deal right exactly yeah bjorn you were singing for the deal i was yeah so when you guys had those conversations because it sounds <laughs> like you guys had the ideas for what you wanted to do with rise and fall while the deal was still going on yeah. What were what were those conversations like? Because it's it can sometimes feel like an odd proposition. You're doing a band, but yeah. it's not the band you want to be doing. You, but people in the band were talking, you're going, this is the band we want to be doing. Why don't we do this? Yeah. So yeah, it was, was weird, like? but we Yeah, it was a little bit weird, but we we were on the same like page about everything really and Cedric joined later. And he was, he made the band a lot better than it was, but we were still like frustrated because we weren't doing enough. You know, we wanted to play more. We wanted to sound like harder, but we didn't really have the right, you know, like mix mixture of, of, of people for it. So um, we just like started like thinking about like what we wanted to do. We were listening to a lot of heavier, heavier stuff at the time. Um, and um, so we decided to just go for it, you know, instead of, instead of like, Keeping on doing the the band, uh, keeping on doing the deal, which was like already played out in our minds, and we were like, let's do something new, start something fresh, which is always fun, and um, yeah, that's how it started. So the deal but, also was a band that like we knew who your band was in the states, and that sort of says something um, at the time. You know, it wasn't you guys weren't a band who wasn't known; like your records were out there, so you made some traction. But what was the big difference? Like, it seems like Rise and Fall almost right away was something different. You know, what, what made the difference? Was it learning from what you did in the deal or was it just new energy? Yeah, pro- probably both, actually. Definitely new energy. 
because you're playing with different players and they bring something new to the table. Um, you start off fresh and you got like a, a, def- a different drummer that plays different beats. You got guitarists that bring new stuff to the table and and, and they, they they challenge what you, you already knew, you know what I mean? Like personally, like singing was, was different, I had to push a lot harder. And um, it was really just inspiring to, to start something new. At first, it was more of a, of a project. We wanted to kind of feel how, how it would go. But as soon as we recorded that demo, played that first show, like we weren't, you know, we weren't amazing, you know, but we, we, we had a really good time. And that first show, it was, it was cool. People wanted to see it. And we sold a lot of demos. And you have that enthusiasm. And you know that the vibe and the, the chemistry in the band was good. So we wanted to to keep that going. We felt like we had something that was kind of, you know, different and unique um, at the time, for sure. And uh, we, we knew that we wanted to keep that going and focus on that. So, Vince, when you start a new band, you have different influences. Uh, and sometimes what you think is going to sound like going into it isn't what it ends up sounding like. So when you first started Rise and Fall, what was it that in your head it was going to sound like? It was going to sound like a mixture of uh, Clevo hardcore and New York hardcore. Just uh, I, I really, something I vividly remember is like at the end of 2002, like we had this rediscovering thing of like we rediscovered the integrity catalog it had always been like ingrained in our brains because we we listened to those records like so so much in the early and the early times when we got into into hardcore because in belgium getting into hardcore is like automatically getting into integrity and ringworm because the 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 main bands that were that that were doing stuff in the mid 90s they 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 auto they like you, you just had to listen to integrity by default, yeah. you know what I mean? And around like uh, 2001, 2002, we like rediscovered this love for the, those early integrity records. And like, I remember uh, me and Bjorn and Cedric were like going to, uh, to shows in, in, in Bjorn's first car. And like, we just obsessively listened to integrity, you know, like, and that was just before the, if my timeline is correct, that's just before the To Die For record on Deathwish came out. Right. And then like, we were like, fuck, integrity is so fucking good and hard and like, like insane lyrics and like awesome riffs and like everything, you know? And then like the, this, the love for like New York hardcore, like uh, bands like Promax and Leeway and all those bands, we just, we just had like coming out of the, the, the stuff we were doing with the deal was like, all right, let's, let's just do a band that like combines like Clevo and like New York hardcore and let's, let's do rise and fall. Yeah. And then uh, that's like pretty much what we wanted to do with that first demo. Like, like, because I remember we had like um, the second guitarist, which was like good at playing uh playing leads and we were like just we recorded the first four songs on the on the demo and we were like all right and then now you just play leads on everything like just go all out and like like he he just played like 
crazy shit that does that didn't even like wasn't the right like tone or whatever yeah, but just yeah, it yeah. sounded like amazing and we and we were like yeah this is fucking awesome man. like people are gonna be into it or we we are into it you know we loved it we yeah. we loved it like we were super enthusiastic when when we had that demo you know like doing a new band and doing and then like listening to your first demo you're also a lot younger than than we are now so yeah like, like it's it's still so magical and like you know what i mean yeah I, I think that's the right word for it is it's like a magical feeling and it's the right age you know you're not when you do your very first thing it's like it's, yeah, it's yeah. amazing but maybe you also know part of you knows this isn't very good, but I'm young. So this is good. <laughs> yeah. But exactly then you get to that. a point where you go, Oh, this is magical. And maybe it's pretty good too. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Um, Cedric. There's something here, you know, like something to build on. Cedric, you were in the deal. That's correct. You were not in the original lineup of rise and fall. I was not. What happened here? We fucked up. We fucked up. We should have asked him, <laughs> asked him straight away. I was thinking about this thing this week also. I was like, why, why the fuck did we forget to ask Cedric? Like, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I remember at the time, um, well, it was kind of double because, yeah, at the one side, the deal was kind of obviously not going anywhere. So I was looking at the perspective of um, being without a band whilst uh, Bjorn and Vince were starting a new awesome band. But um, I don't know exactly what I was thinking, but somehow I kind of did not really panic too much about it. And I kind of knew I would end up in Rise of <laughs> And that kind of happened. I don't know. It just, it just naturally happened. And I think maybe because... Um, the, the 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 first lineup wasn't the most steadiest, so they were frustrated about that too, and we were hanging out all the time. So I just was I just waited my turn and I got <laughs> it. <laughs> so you know this isn't usually with Axagram we bounce all around, but I'm trying to keep it sort of on the track. What was that yeah. first time period for you, Bjorn? <clears throat> You're going to get these two questions. What did you feel was the difference writing lyrics? Because you were writing lyrics for the deal. Did you continue kind of a similar mentality or similar like frame of mind for writing lyrics for Rise and Fall? Or did you change it? And then two, what do you remember of that early period? You know, having just put out a demo, just played some early shows. What was that time like for you? Yeah, lyrically, uh, I think you always kind of adapt to, to the music that comes out. So um, with the music being a lot heavier, also even already at that time, I felt it was darker too. So I kind of like, changed the lyrics in, in that direction. Nothing too drastic, but, you know, especially like Vince said, we were listening to so much integrity. So we were like, we got to use some of these words. <laughs> <laughs> we got to use the word mediator somewhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> Stuff like that. Demons in there. Yeah, yeah put, put some demons in the mix, and then uh, Godzilla on the on the cover of the demo. You know, the 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 fun the 
the funny thing was also that we, uh, the one guitarist, um, his last name was Fiun. It doesn't matter now, but you know, Integrity had like a Aaron Malley called A double, right? Mm -hmm. So we were like, well, your name's not Pedro anymore. You're, you're F double from now on. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we went all the way. You know, we were all in. And so, yeah, the lyrics changed in that, in that, uh, in that way. And those early days, like, uh, like Vince was saying, it was definitely magical. It was, it was, uh, you're doing something new. It's, it's super inspiring. You're, you, you feed off each other's enthusiasm, enthusiasm as well. But at the same time, you know, like you everything starts out like pretty like organically and, and it's kind of a, you know it, it was meant to be a project but then as soon as we started playing shows like the two of us we wanted more you know we wanted to play more do more like uh, the response was really good we got some 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 good offers like almost right away to to, to play more shows and, and even tours and um and they, it became clear that not everyone in, in the band was uh was going to be into that and they didn't all have the time or or the ambition to do that and the other dudes were even like a bit older than we were so uh that's the frustration that cedric was talking about because we knew we had something in our hands that could really like move that could really do could do shit you know and then at the same time we felt like not everybody was going to be on board but we decided like like vince and i that we were going to keep going and murph our drummer at the time also he was also super into it um, and we started playing shows with fill-ins and making making shit work, which was something that wasn't really done over here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. A band was a band and a lineup was a lineup. But um, we started like using fill-ins and just improvising to, 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 yeah, to move ahead. To make things happen, right? Yeah. Vince, how did you guys navigate that with having members of the band who maybe weren't as enthusiastic or didn't, didn't have the same, maybe it's ability to go and do all the things that both of you guys wanted to do at the time. Like, how did you deal with that? What did, I mean, obviously well, it was frustration, but. Well, a, a really big part was driving from Ghent to the city where we were rehearsing. And it was just always me and Bjorn sitting in the car for like more than one hour to the rehearsal so like we could vent whatever frustrations we had like and not in not necessarily like talking shit or anything you know like no. more like more like oh man we need to go find a solution and to play this show or that show and like one of the one of the main things was like pretty early on we we uh, got in touch with uh, Marco or Marco got in touch with us which uh, Marco is is doing uh, avocado bookings, which is one of the main uh, booking agencies in uh, in Europe. Marco, and it's, it's like you can't. Marco's so important to what was happening in Europe in general, like and especially for us at the time because like he heard the demo tape. I think Bjorn sent it to him or something, or he I picked it up him. at it. Yeah, and um, he like he was like a firm believer of rise and fall from the very get-go you know and um <clears throat> he offered us to be on his label which he was doing at the time and um we did a split cd i think it was uh right after the demo for which we re-recorded two songs of the demo and um 
right when that came out, he he called us or he emailed us or whatever, saying if we were asking if he's, if we were interested in doing a support slot for Converge on their, if I'm not mistaken, second European tour or mm-hmm. third, whatever. Right. doesn't matter. But we just had like a demo and a split CD with two songs. And we were like, oh, fuck, this is the coolest shit ever. Because like we were... Besides that, we wanted our band to sound like a mix of Integrity and uh, Chromax, yeah. for lack of for lack of other bands. But like we were like fuck Converge, like we we've been we had been into them since like a long time for sure. And uh, we were like, all right, we're doing this like no matter what, like because we knew the other dudes in the band except for Murph because he wa- he wanted to tour for sure. But, like, we knew the guitar players had, like, other stuff going on, like, serious jobs or, like, not really the ambition to, like, sit in a small band, drive a, drive to Scotland in, like, uh, January. You know what I mean? <laughs> not everyone's not everyone's ideal uh, winter yeah. vacation. But we we were, like, we had no, there was no doubt in our minds that we weren't, were not going to do this, you know? Like we we just had to do it and like like we kind of expected the two guitar players kind of kind of were like oh they 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 didn't want to do it or they didn't have time or anything so me and Bjorn were like okay let's ask Cedric you know this is 2003 the end of 2003 when it was like planned mm. and uh Cedric was still in school at the time and uh, he just by by just agenda stuff, he had like important exams, which he couldn't get out of. You know, like he had to think about the future and like get those, uh, <laughs> you know, get that stuff done <clears throat> and out of the way. And like he he just said, he was just waiting a turn. He knew but, it was coming. Uh, we after we knew Cedric couldn't do it. We we. Uh, called or we called uh, Michiel who was in uh, dead stop at the time mm. and we called Matt Matt who was in uh, liar at the time he's like one of the later guitarists and um, we started rehearsing I think in November 2003 with those two other dudes mm-hmm. and we did the converge tour uh, in January with them um, and after that tour, am I get am I getting sidetracked? Just because no, stop me perfect. if I'm yeah. no, this is perfect. Uh, after that tour, um, we like the original the two original guitar players were like, ah, oh, we're just like kind of not into it anymore. You like I I feel it's better that you guys get another guitar player or two other guitar players. Uh, so we knew Michiel and Matt couldn't do it like for the long run. And I think pretty much like one month or two months after we, we, we started rehearsing with Cedric, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think it was uh, pretty fast afterwards. Well, I think we played one show with Michiel and Cedric to introduce yeah. Cedric at the uh, yeah. Lindfabrik, yeah. which is the most awesomest Belgian venue yeah. ever. It's the Belgian CBGBs. Where, where, yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say that, but I let say I let you I let you say it. 
I, I will say it. It also is truthful. So, Cedric. Yeah. Yeah, just um, one, one addition around that period because I, I remember it very vividly because as I was saying, I was kind of waiting my turn, you know, being patiently. And I remember that tour coming up and the new plans and the frustration that the other guitar players couldn't make it. And as Finn said, I have finals that I couldn't miss out on, uh, unfortunately. And I remember that tour like with Converge because you know, we're big Converge fans and thinking like, oh, great, they're going to tour with Converge. That will never happen again. <laughs> I was so bummed. Little, little did you that. know. Little did I know. Exactly. So. so let's pull back a little bit because I feel like we've kind of moved forward and we're the rise and fall train is rolling, right? Things are happening. Mm-hmm. What was happening in Belgium? Because you mentioned a few bands. I mean, <clears throat> when I think of Belgium, hardcore, not just the country in general, but when I do think of the country, <laughs> I think of Rise and Fall and Liar. And uh, I think of Hate Thousand. I think of Congress, the Liars. I think of Dead Stop. I think of Justice. And I think of Rise and Fall. And in 2002, three, four a lot of stuff was happening. What was that like? What was, <clears throat> take me to a show at Lindfabrique. Show me, <laughs> tell me what it was like. Were those all worlds that were playing together? Were they the same? Were those the same shows? Were they different? Because depending on where you're at, those are all bands that could play together or it might be like, oh, no, no, no. Those bands don't play together. Well, can I take us? Um thing is the the hate thousand scene as we knew it was a 90s thing and yeah that's what i mean it, that was over yeah yeah but those bands like stuck around though they they like liar kept playing congress kept playing but it was definitely a different scene um like we could play those shows but you didn't see like desktop or justice play those shows and uh yeah okay um, so um, hold on wait i those bands were still playing well into the 2000s yeah for sure was it that they were playing to different people or just the shows were smaller or, you know, break that down for me in the most flattering ways you can. Yeah. Well, they, they, they weren't at their peak for sure. They, they would still draw decent crowds, um, especially in, in their own areas for sure. But um, yeah, like the, like for a lot of people, I think the, the magic was, was, was gone. They weren't doing their, their best records either. Like with all due respect, because those bands sure. meant so much to all of us. Yeah. Um, so while they, they kept going, like a, like a newer scene was definitely developing, especially like in my opinion, like the people that were in, in that stop and justice, they also kind of witnessed that scene, but they weren't really like inspired by it. They wanted to do their own thing and, and go back to, to like the roots of hardcore, you know, like definitely drawing from a, an eighties uh, sound. So uh, mm-hmm. to, in, in my mind, that was a bit of a reaction towards everything that happened before in Belgium, which is, you know, which is often the case, actually. And I think we were kind of in between those worlds. We could play with, with everyone, and we did, because we didn't care. Like, we played any any show that was offered. If we could make it, we'd do it. Um, but it was super inspiring to see, like, uh, Dead Stop come up, because they started playing in 2002, I think. And then Justice came up at the end of uh, 2003. And they were, like... 
the first couple of times that we saw them, we were like, what's going on? Like, this makes no sense. You know what I mean? But <laughs> no sense whatsoever. But the energy that was there was, was wild. It was really cool to see. And it's the energy that was around like early Death Stop, early Justice, early Rise and Fall as well. Uh, it's that energy that drew more and more kids to that type of show. And that's how I think that's how things gained like a lot of traction. But it was a different scene than than the scene that was you know there before in the nineties right. for sure. Well, so and I think you're right. That's you really put it uh, succinctly, really concise. Um, the idea that you guys that rise and fall could play what was happening now, but also there were roots to you could make the logical leap from liar in Congress to rise and fall easier than you could to dead stop or to justice. Um, what, when you go from that, like what were those shows, the energy you guys were generating a lot of stuff and here in the States and I, I lived in the Northeast, I've lived on the West coast. There's certain areas where the shows are only big when tours come through. What was it like for you at the time in Belgium in different parts, you know, because it seems like the local shows there were as vibrant as when the big tours would come through. Yeah. Were they? Cedric. Um, <clears throat> what I distinctly remember about that, um, that stop just this era and I guess that's kind of what uh, that stop is also famous about that they kind of took over. Uh, they started with, um, you know, the, the typical American band coming true and then uh, a local band supporting. And after a while, it got like switched, you know, like reactions would be crazier for that stop uh, for the local bands. And that was, that kind of felt something new. But at the same time, it's probably uh, kind of similar to what happened in the Hey Thousand period, because I'm a little younger than uh, Bjorn and Fins, so I kind of got into it like at the peak or just after the peak. Mm-hmm. But um, so a lot of those shows I know from like the stories, and because at uh, in the '90s, um, hardcore or like from the area I was from was so big because. There were a lot of people in my school actually wearing, uh, you know, like uh, band shirts and of the label and stuff like Good Life Records mm-hmm. and people that just disappeared like two years after. So um, so I think those two uh, periods have uh, that in common. Um, but um, yeah, the Dead Stop, Justice Era um, shows were just wild and it was... Yeah, it was a special time. It was a it was a special vibe because you would go to a show and everyone would be very excited for uh, the local band for uh, yeah for, for their friends actually. So there's there's this uh, great moment or like a uh, an, uh, a story from the early uh, eight thousand days where uh, there's a Sensefield four walls fall four walls falling tour where they play with Congress and there's a, there was a review in the Hey Thousand zine where um, they said, oh, um, Sensefield and Four Walls. 
wanted to play after Congress and they, and the locals were like, oh, I don't know if you should do that, man, because like they're pretty popular. And then uh, it they played last and everybody went home, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it would have been like that for Dead Stop or like Justice too. Like you, you could have had like a, I mean, it's not, yeah, maybe that's overreacting because like we, we appreciated a good band even if they weren't local, you know what I mean? Of course, like, of course. If if there was a, a good show at Lindfabrik and like any band could play last, the scene was awesome. Like it was super supportive locally and like for international bands. Yeah, it was just 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 a, a real high in like hardcore at that era. Isn't there a term for that time? The Zotosphere. <laughs> <laughs> The crazy sphere. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, to me, that's one of like the the coolest and like we'll get back on the track here, but it's one of the coolest things that can happen because it's not it's not some sort of um, unwarranted pride or arrogance or, you know, uh, belief that what you're doing and what's happening in your local scene is more important than anywhere else. But it's this kind of acknowledgement that, hey, what we're doing here is really cool and it matters and it's vital and it is important. And I think that when you see that, like, you could feel that on those records, you know, um, as it was coming out. And, like, that's... And, like, another thing is, like... Country, you know, across the world. Another thing is, like, the, the Belgian bands had the luck that we they've been adopted always by american labels and the american kids by by that you know like you had that stop that had their records being put out by i forget the name bjorn which was yeah, the american label of second that. record was on the havoc in the states yep and the first one on the ranged yep right yep. exactly um, and so then yeah, and, and six feet under as well the yep. the, the seven inch Yep. And then Justice, uh, they locking out, right? locking out. We got like adopted by Deadwish, you know. Yeah. Like we, like it's it's been like that was also like cool to like. I don't know how to say it, but like it, it was like there's appreciation, and I like you you feel like your band is like getting appreciated in the states, and by being appreciated there it also increases your popularity in Europe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a cycle kind of a cycle. Yeah. So we rise and fall. We move back. Your, your first record that's your own is Hellmouth. Yeah. Tell me what, what was bring us to that record. Cedric joins the band Finishes his exams, joins Rise and Fall, getting things, the important stuff done first. What's the lead up to that record? Creatively, how are you feeling? Is everything coming together on that record? And when you look back at it now, how does it feel? Uh, so, like, one of the things, like, we, we was, like, that was super, like, influential to us was seeing Converge live uh on that tour we did with them like we were we were like every every night we would watch them with like open mouths you know like holy shit like this is how you do a band you know what i mean like this is how you play a show 
not not we weren't like thinking about like writing songs that were at that level of what they were doing like we we were like still pretty basic in our influences you know what i mean but um like when we came home from that tour we were like all right we need to step up our game you know like we need a guitar player that can play we need a guitar player that wants to play shows like we need to like get into second gear you know what i mean and um from that moment on we just started rehearsing even more we like bjorn said we we were taking on every show we could and like we would play it like like our lives depended on it like from that point on like there was no more fucking around and um we just rehearsed every week and then we were like it's it it, i feel it, uh, it was all like pretty natural like we were just writing songs because we knew we wanted to do a, a an LP. I had never done an LP at that moment in my life. So like, I was like, all right, let's, let's try and write a really good record. You know what I mean? And, um, I think having Cedric in the band was like one of the things that made it possible. I think without Cedric, there wouldn't have been a band that grew because like, to be honest, at that time, I was like, what, I'm, I, I was playing bass and I knew how to be a kind of, you know, like I wasn't that good at an instrument. Like I didn't know how to kind of make it sound really awesome. And then you, in comes Cedric with like the knowledge to set an amp to make it sound great. And he had some traditional schooling at his instrument. So like he's, he was more proficient at it than, than me. And, uh, it just like the songs we were writing were just better. And, um, we were also like, I don't know, trying to make the record a little more interesting. Like if you listen to Hellmout, it's not that straightforward, like you would imagine as a band that draws influences from New York hardcore and, and like Cleveland hardcore, like there's, there's, there's some more, more stuff going on. So I think that's, it's really like, it's not a good, it's not the best record to get into rise and fall, but it was a, an essential record for us to build our sound. You know what I mean? So Cedric, you're in the band now. <clears throat> <clears throat> what was your role from this well, point creatively and putting this record together as, as Vince was going into? Well, from that era, I kind of remember like two distinctive things. Like one um, was um, the life aspect because um, I had to replace two guitarists. And that was kind of a challenging task at the beginning because um, at the beginning we weren't sure if, I would just be the only guitarist or we needed a second guitar player. Uh, We even auditioned some people, but in the end um, we just uh, went forth as a four piece, but um, that did put some pressure on like bringing it live and um, bringing a sound that, um, that basically replaces two guitarists. Um, And that's kind of when we got the idea of playing through two amps and stuff and turning up real loud because also at the time um, a lot of the bands were not that uh, 
gear minded or we're like gear minded in a totally different um uh i don't know in a different tone zone if you will and welcome to the tone zone and um so uh, at that time that was like um kind of a challenge ahead or something uh that we w- w- would navigate in and try to feel uh, comfortable in our way. Um, the other aspect was, of course, writing and finishing Hellmouth. Um, but at that time, Vince um, was, uh, I mean, I was kind of like boarding a moving train. So the wheels were in motion. Vince uh, had, I think he had most of the songs already written. So um, I just quietly came in and um just added to what was already um pretty cool and and that's kind of how it um how it further evolved uh, i remember some songs um adding a riff or like some ideas um i also remember we already had like uh for a few songs uh the more um well for us at that time out of the box influences um we were talking in a group chat earlier about the song tongue tied and i remember um we had a uh, souls at zero from the roses in mind in the bridge so um so so that was kind of coming together and uh i was kind of getting comfortable you know it's more like getting acquainted getting into it and that was how i viewed it we definitely wanted to do like more interesting stuff but like like i was saying it wasn't like not it wasn't only setting an amp so it sounds awesome like it's also like the the insight in how a mu- how a song is written that like I was lacking at the time. I'm I'm good at writing like basic stuff, mm-hmm. but like Cedric had definitely added like the room to uh, experience experience uh, more to have like more experiments in the songs. You know what I mean? More like uh, elaborate uh, songwriting. Bjorn, yeah. who named Rise and Fall? No, I did. Yeah. The deal to rise and fall. It's good. I like it. It's a good name. <laughs> Brother, yeah, a great Brotherhood sure. to leeway. To leeway. Um, yeah. What was your role? Do you, did you ever, different vocalists do different things. Did you ever go to these guys and go, this song, not so much. Or did I you ever did, say, hey, a little more? Oh, I see some <laughs> aggressive head nods. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, some take a complete back seat and go, eh. But most, most go, eh. And then some are like, no, no, no. More like this. Duh, 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 duh. And it's like, you can't yeah. play an instrument. What are you doing? So, <laughs> Bjorn, you, you, no. you came in and, and did a little quality control. Yeah, I, I was involved. I, I couldn't, you know, I can't play anything, but... um. Like especially when once we got the the lineup like settled with Cedric in there, like um, I was definitely also part of of the writing process and 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 you know, chipped in, but um, it was mostly like Vincent Cedric that wrote the songs for sure. Um, we brought the riffs to the table and we we kind of finished them together with the drummer and myself, um, like putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But it was definitely cool because like Cedric said, the like the wheels were in motion already and we had that energy that we wanted to keep 
we already had a, a bunch of songs that were half finished. So when Cedric joined, it was like, you know, things like went up a notch and we could like be even more like inspiration was coming. And so I think that's probably why like we were so happy with what was coming out that we might've like not have uh, taken the time to do more quality control afterwards. You know what I mean? Like if that record would have been maybe a bit shorter or if we would have taken some more time to maybe like weed out some of the weaker parts, it would have been a better record, but that's the enthusiasm that, you know, that's at play at that moment. So you just ride with it. So this is the hard part because a couple of us on this line at least have, have children, you know, so it's hard to choose things that you'd change about your children, but, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> each of you can change one thing about this record, just one. What would you change? Or nothing. I'll let you say nothing. But if you can change one thing. Cedric. Uh, yeah, definitely the guitar sound. Um, at the time, like, as uh, we were uh, discovering how we would sound live, uh, we had no idea how to do that in the studio. Um, also, we were in a Belgian studio trying to do stuff that, trying to sound like American records in a studio and it was a cool studio like we've had great times there but we didn't really know how to achieve them and there was some experimentation and when you record there's like some choices you make like how how dirty the amps sound and stuff like that and once you made that decision you can't come back from it um so yeah we could have make made another decision in that part but uh yeah that was mine bjorn you're on the spot yeah it's it's my remark is going to be very general but like those songs like at least half of them needed more work you know like a bit more like trimming and and putting them like in a a better like you know shape Mm -hmm. but um all in all you know it is what it is though it's a it's a it's a definitely a perfect document of what we were doing at the time that, that's where we always get is that it is it's a perfect document at the time i try to remind people you can't change things but it's it's a fun exercise you would say you would rework certain things tighten them up is that right yeah vince i agree you? with bjorn just like making the songs a little bit shorter you know like not doing like four repetitions of every riff mm. like maybe do four and two and then do another four <laughs> you know what i mean instead of four 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 <laughs> four, 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 four. four yeah and then do the mosh part, you know what I mean? And play yeah. that mosh part four times. So it's a lot of four in that rec on that on that record. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, I mean it's it's like Bjorn said. It's yeah. a document of the of the time and why change I mean there's there if if that would have been our only record, yeah. we could have been like, Oh, we should have done this and that. But just at the time, I think at the time it was the best record we could have written. Like mm-hmm. with our knowledge of songwriting and yeah. like how old we were like oh yeah yeah that's a great way to look at it it's um if you're building a chair you're only as skilled as you are in that moment and you only have access to the tools that you have yeah so the chair is as the chair is so like you can sit (laughs) there is as the chair the chair is beautiful (laughs) i know get in my new poetry zine coming soon um (laughs) did hellmouth open doors for you uh, 
to do more of what you were looking for? Because creatively, it sounds like you were fulfilled. Everything was moving in the right direction. I like rise and fall right now in this conversation. We've said it a few different ways. It is a train that is going. Like there's just yeah. all this momentum behind it. Bjorn, does it feel like this record then kind of opened doors? Because I'm right in saying Marco put the put the record out. No, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so did it kind of continue to push you guys forward? Yeah, for sure. Because it, it um, even if Marco's label wasn't like the the biggest label, he still put a lot of work, you know, into it. And um, at the same time, because we were playing all the time, we had that record with us. We sold a lot of copies and it it kind of helped us get even more shows, get more tours. Um at the time as well, we were like we were kind of early, you know, with that the whole Clevo influence. And not saying that record is just that, but it was definitely like a big part of our sound. And we were one of the first bands to do that in Europe. So a lot of people like really got into that, you know, just because no, nobody else was doing that in Europe at the time. So we were kind of fresh in that way. And um, we played a lot on that record. So yeah, it definitely opened a lot of doors for us and helped us to tour more and play more, which is exactly what we wanted. It also um, helped us get our first US release because um, our friend EMS, who was uh, in a bunch of bands, like Brothers Keeper, <laughs> Stretch Armstrong, uh, we met him. Um, or actually met him before that, but anyway, we met him in Europe, he played with us, he enjoyed us, he put out our record in the States, so that even if it's a small label, that was a first step, uh, and it was really cool for us, you know, like to just to have a US label and somebody that was into what we were doing. Um, and then we had another uh, Belgian label put out the vinyl, so it was, it was, you know, put out there by different people in, 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 in slightly different scenes, and that helps as well. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Who out there? Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Vince. Yeah, during, like, Hellmouth, we, we would also start a... Like, we, we were always, like, rehearsing, even if we were playing shows every weekend and, and then going on tours. So we were just constantly 
playing shows and rehearsing to write new records, uh, to write new songs. And um, the thing was like, we were starting to become pretty confident, you know, like it, like we, we were getting confident live and we were getting confident in writing new songs. And I remember two of the first, two of the s- songs we wrote first for uh, Into Oblivion were so- the first song on the record called Four Tongues and another song called The Void. I think if I'm not mistaken, the fir- those are the first songs we had for that record. And we also didn't, uh, we started playing those songs in our set because our set was pretty short because we didn't play all the songs on Helma. We played a couple of songs of the demo. So like we knew those songs were good. Like we were confident they're good songs. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound big headed or anything, but we were like, all right, these songs are awesome. Let's play them live. Like the week after we wrote them and like we were, we were uh, playing uh, quite a lot of shows. And like, the thing is, when you want to do a, a good show, you have like a, a band coming through and like we were getting asked a lot to support or play with uh, bands from the States. And I, one, one thing I really like a, a pretty important moment for, for us or for me was like uh, when the promise and uh, I forget champion. champion yeah. yeah. The promise and champion came on tour together and uh those dudes in the promise were like oh fuck you guys are you guys are cool i mem- i remember busky and the singer his name like i don't, I don't yeah and uh they were like one of the first bands together with mental who uh really appreciated rise and fall and like kind of spread the word you know like uh i remember seeing a a, a picture of uh some positive Posse Numbers Fest, where uh, the singer of The Promise was wearing a Rise and Fall shirt. I was like, oh, this is like, this is yeah. sick, you know? Like, mm-hmm. And and uh, after, on, on Hellmouth, we also did a tour with 100 Demons for like uh, two weeks or something, which was also like a, a really crazy experience like uh they they were they were they had that record on Deathwish at the time and like it, it was they were they were pretty pretty wild live you know like a really good live band and uh we just like it just like <clears throat> things things evolved like pretty naturally were you guys still rehearsing were you still driving to rehearsals together yeah, yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah what were, what, what were yeah. the comments Cedric, were you in the car I was, still? I was in the car yeah. now. Okay, everybody. Then there were three. Then there were. Th- <laughs> what were those conversations like? Were you guys talk? What were the goals? What was? Were there conflicts, not in the band, but externally? Were there obstacles you had to deal with? And then, during this time frame, so we're talking Hellmouth directly before, directly after. Were your goals starting to evolve, like what you wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think we got we got more um, ambitious, for sure, because um, uh, like Finn said, we we had that confidence. We knew we were getting good. We were good live. We were playing a lot, so you get better. That's how it works. And um, the three of us were were taking that drive to Ypres, where Murph, our, our drummer at the time, lived, like all the time. And we would always be making plans, you know, like 
we have to do this, we have to play that, we have to like write this type of song, this type of song. So it was a constant like, you know how it is, like it's it's really like, it's super contagious, you know, that, that energy that you all share at a moment like that. And then um, we were constantly like setting new goals and, 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 and thinking about like trying to make it to the States, trying to work with a, a bigger US label or, or whatever the next step was gonna be. Like in, in Europe as well, like in all, in all honesty, like because we played so many shows and, and, and started touring more on Hellmouth, like we, we immediately had the interest of, of, of all the bigger labels in Europe at the time, and um, which was kind of a weird feeling. We were like, holy shit, what do we do? You know what I mean? But that was a logical result of, of all the effort that we put into it. And like Vince said, like that, like one more thing, like our, the, the, the first show where I really remember thinking afterwards, like, damn, we were good. That was a show with Champion and the Promise in, in Holland. We drove up like a couple of hours to, to play that show. And um, it was just like a really, really good show. It was packed. And I could feel at that moment that we were actually really good. Played a couple of ringworm covers and it was sick. <laughs> so Cedric, what was the moment you knew it was, you knew that Rise and Fall was pretty good? Well, I think um, <laughs> I think like what Hellmouth did was it kind of accelerated everything. Also, like how we were as a unit, how creatively it's because well, f- first if you have a record that enables you to do stuff, you know, you have a record to uh, play shows on and this and that, and th- there's this thing. And also, it was kind of maybe that was for me, but we kind of got that record like out of the way, and now we could like evolve and become what we became actually. So um, it was moving and it was very exciting because we weren't sure what direction it was moving, how it was exactly going to sound, but we just, yeah, like Bjorn said, felt more confident um, and shows were getting better. And I remember, um, I don't remember what show it was, but um, there was a show that we, um, because you you play a lot of support or you play like local shows with a bunch of bands, uh, which are just like random shows, but they're fine. And then I remember this one show that we headlined and people were there and they kind of stick around for us. And that's like a moment I felt, okay, people are now coming to see us. This is cool. <laughs> and yeah, that was like one distinct thing. <laughs> so this is, this is an interesting question. And we might need to we might need to circle back to it later on as we continue through here. But at what point is rise and fall kind of dominating your life? And I mean that like it's consuming your time and your your mental bandwidth. And I'm sure you all had other things going on. Since it also sounds <laughs> <laughs> it also sounds like it had really taken a hold is that right so so was this was it in full just like this is what i'm doing with myself is this band yeah it was yeah it definitely like vince said like as soon as like as soon as we started touring i would say that's when we decided like this is going to be it you know we're going to make this work because we have the right age we have the right you know amount of experience and it's not going to happen, you know, it usually doesn't happen twice. So, um, and it definitely consumed all of our time. <laughs> we were, yeah, some of us were going to school, some of us were working jobs, but like my mind was like 
in one place, you know I mean? It was just thinking about the band, like arranging everything behind the scenes, like booking shows, booking tours, like just like networking. That's how it, you know, that's how it goes. And yeah. Um, yeah. Is that Rick? Yeah, same for me. Like uh, the second I joined, um, it's because also we were not only playing in a band together, but we were hanging out all the time and going to shows. So even regardless of rise and fall, we were in that same vibe. Um, and yeah, it was great to be in a band that had like this, uh, you know, this thing of let's do it, let's go for it. Um, and yeah, I definitely failed some exams after that because my <laughs> mind was elsewhere. <laughs> I can tell you that. So, Vince, you made it clear where you were. All consumed. Yeah, I mean, like one step short of obsessive, you know what I mean? <laughs> like calling Bjorn like at like 11 in the evening, like, oh, dude, I had this idea, we should do this, or like making shirts or like like it's just like everything it was like all like how do you say it all all encompassing all encompassing you know like um i remember i had a girlfriend at the time and like things weren't going that well and we went on tour and uh i came home and she was like oh i really missed you and uh i was like uh i didn't really miss you so like <laughs> music was your girlfriend <laughs> at, music was my girlfriend man <laughs> fucking fast break yeah um you know like it, it was just like i was obsessed like i it was literally the only thing i cared about you know like heart it was only also because like you had your band which is like doing fun stuff a lot of really really fun stuff you see the potential plus in belgium at the time you also had the scene which was really awesome so like you would play shows who which, which were getting better and better and then the shows we were going to even when we might we would go to three shows in a week maybe sometimes four you know because yeah. we were, we were yeah. playing two shows and then oh let's let's go let's go see three shows on that tour uh on the first terror tour like we, we play i think rise and fall was playing already at the time uh or maybe we were i i forget but like we we would just like go to shows all the time yeah go to show like we were working jobs like i remember i i was working at a store at the time and it was just like all right um uh, gotta work till six thirty. Gotta be in Arnhem, which is like a three or two and a half hour drive. Need to be there by eight. There's gonna be some traffic. Uh, okay, I need to make sure I get like off from work. Uh, hop in the car, and then I, I had this, this uh, I had this little van, which was more like a car, and uh, <laughs> like a. I don't know how do you call it in English, but like, it was like a, a really, really small van. Yeah, minivan. Uh, a minivan, yeah. but a micro, I would call it, I would even call it a micro van. A micro van. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we would just like uh, had, have this long-term vision where we would try to play shows without spending any money, but still bring gear. So like, all right, it's how, how are we going to, how are we going to, how do we fit the most gear in this tiny car fit four people and then like 
cram it with with gear. So like I was I was I I like to think of myself as one of the bass players in the European hardcore scene who took his job pretty serious. You know, I wanted to sound good. And like every local band we would play with and like share gear with didn't have an Ampeg like a uh, bass cab, which yeah. is the best bass cab on the world. Mm-hmm. So, so like we would like, that's, that's one of the things like that's so obsessive about it. Like we would like envision these plans, how to load this mini van with all the gear to make our live set sound, sound good. You know, like, so like we would go to shows and like, I, I'd have JP who, who, who had replaced our orig- original drummer Murph mm-hmm sitting next to me, Cedric behind me. And then we like, we had all the seats down. We had like a bass cab and then Cedric's gear, amps, the breakables of the drum. And then Bjorn would sit in the trunk on a Marshall, on a flight case of of, of Cedric's. Mm -hmm. Like if my kid would ever drive to a show like that, I would like stop him. Like he wouldn't, like I would like be like, Fuck no. If you're thinking you're going to drive to Arnhem like two and a half hours on the highway with some guy who's without a seatbelt in a, <laughs> on, on an amp in the, like if a truck would have ever hit us, like, yeah, we've, we'd, we'd been dead, you know, like, yeah. like yeah. stupid stuff you do because you're, you're like in love with what you're doing. You know what I mean? And well, that was well, really like the whole, the whole, uh, the whole way of life, if for lack of a better term, which we were, we, which we, what we were having in 2004 and 2005, that was like, it was really not constantly touring and being in a comfortable van or like, or a kind of comfort. It was really uncomfortable. We were like working and like trying to play as much shows. I was always stressed about like not being able to like get off because at the time, me and Bjorn were working on Saturdays always. So, like, it was stress on Fridays, stress on Saturdays. And then during the holidays, we were working on Sundays, but we also wanted to play shows on holidays. You know, like, and we couldn't, like, get off from work endlessly. And, and like, it was, right. it was just, like, it, it was everything. There wasn't, I, I don't think any of us had girlfriends also at the time. Like, it was just. That's, that's we going to be a recurring. That. Yeah. This is going to be a recurring <clears throat> theme is discussing how how most people I know who end up in love with their band and doing that end up not being in love for a little while, at least with anyone else <laughs> yeah. because it takes <laughs> yeah. over. Bjorn, where, no were you, where, where were you and Vince working? Well, Vince was working in one of the, the better clothing stores in Ghent at the time. Um, I was actually not working in a clothing store at the time. I was working for the, illustrious good life label um and um i was responsible for the web store mm-hmm. and uh, i was buying records trading records with other labels and stuff like that so that was my job so like my life was pretty much like hardcore uh, all the time yeah which was convenient <laughs> it makes it easier yeah. when you have to ask to get out of work vince that's what i was trying to lead to do you remember who you had to talk to about getting time off and leave early on Fridays and Saturdays for, for these shows? Well, honestly, it was uh, one of my best friends to this date. Also, like, it was uh, Colin. He's uh, the singer of the band Amun Ra. 
Oh, okay. And uh, we worked together for at least six years, I think. Like we, we always had to be lucky to not get it, get stuck in some kind of crazy traffic jam or get lost because we were, we were also really cheap. We didn't want, we, we didn't want to buy a GPS, which pretty much everybody had at the time. We just like printed out these directions. And then like, I remember Bjorn sitting in the, in the trunk and, and like we would miss an exit. But like, if you missed an exit and you printed out your directions, like this is 2004, you're like, fuck, you're like in Germany in the middle of some town you don't know and you're like fuck we missed this exit like what are we gonna do this gonna this is gonna suck like we're gonna be late we're already like half hour past the time we were we we told the promoter we were gonna be there and it it was just like stuff like that all the time but like we loved it cedric what was the stress level like in the rise and fall micro van (laughs) stress level um I think it was quite all right, but well, no, we, yeah. yeah. Two different That's stress levels said. on the way to the show and on the way back. Oh, so, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, I'll let way Cedric way. elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> two different vibes, definitely. Um, yeah, I remember going to shows. It was always, uh, we had to hurry up. It, and there was always traffic because Belgium is so small and you always have to pass Antwerp and there's always traffic. And there were these weekends when we'd play uh, two shows in Holland and there would be shows that were far. So we'd go on Friday, go back, then Vince has to work. And then we would do the same thing on Saturday while probably other bands would just spend the weekend in Holland and (laughs) have (laughs) a nice time. (laughs) But the thing was, um, yeah, it's a cliche, but once you're there and you're playing the show and things are cool then everything disappears and yeah afterwards it would be just be chill and you have that high from the show you know and then go back um get some snacks just i would always easily fall asleep in the back while vince vince was actually driving all the time and working so he was uh put it, putting in the hours <laughs> I, I could guess that vince was the driver it makes yeah. sense. Why choice too? When you describe the work and the scheduling out, I can't picture anyone else taking the keys and driving. If you're the one working the schedule and making it all work, you want to be the one in charge of your destiny there. I was like uh, always like I remember Bjorn being Bjorn who's like the the most easy person to talk not not the most easy but an easy person to talk to quite easy quite easy to talk to a great conversationalist (laughs) and uh also a great networker in the good way not in the bad way yes like he would know the promoter always and also like Mm -hmm. probably three people in the town we were playing and then like basically half of every band we were playing with so like when the show in Essen in west of Germany <laughs> ends at 1 a.m., we had to drive uh, approximately three hours home. And then uh, I remember getting like irritated once every so often. Bjorn would like 
would not end his conversation with Rob from Born from Pain. I was like, dude, let's get the fuck home. I gotta, I gotta work tomorrow. Drive three hours. You know what I mean? But we had a good time always. Okay, was were those? This is now the hard questions. Were those the hardest? Was that the biggest fight Rise and Fall ever had in that period? We can talk, if there's anything later. You guys seem like you get along pretty well. Was we, there ever a conflict that you can remember that was like, oh? At that time, yeah. we would only fight during shows. During the sets? During sets, like getting like pissed off because somebody played something wrong. Mm. Usually, like getting distracted within, like, within a song. Like, what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? Like, and then like looking or spitting at each other, you know, like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, man? And then like, after, uh, after this show, it's like, oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right, Bjorn? Or yeah, that, I... that, yeah, that, and even that wouldn't really happen, you know, that often, I think. We just like, we were super focused on, on playing a, a, a good set, for sure. We were at the time, like, like, you said earlier, like obsessed. We wanted to be great. You know, we wanted to be like better than everyone else, you know, because you just want to just want to be as good as you can be and leave an impression, especially if you put, you know, the effort into to play a lot. So, um, yeah, it was like we were definitely like a, a team and no at this at this stage of the band, no serious arguments or, or anything like that. Okay. Just in the heat of the moment on stage, maybe. But that's it. Yeah. So at this time. You guys have talked about going on that tour with Converge earlier, help push you and motivate you and say, oh my God, this is, this is what a band yeah. does and can be. You're starting to get to that and really working on it. You're rehearsing, you're playing, you're rehearsing, you're not skipping anything. Were there any bands you played with in this era that you remember being like, oh, holy shit. They, they just you know, the competitive, we want to be the best band who's playing the show. Were there any shows where you were like, oh, that band was very good? Whether it's a band everyone knows or a band you don't think people talk about anymore. Were there ever any bands who you think gave you a run for your money live? In this well, time. For sure. Yeah, for sure. But when I said that we wanted to be the best band, I mean, the best damn band that we could be, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I know, we I know, not competitively, but, you know. Yeah, and because we weren't that way and be, because we kind of stood out musically we would always be playing with a variety of bands um that makes it you know a lot cooler as well um and it makes it different because you're not sonically going yeah. for the same thing so your energy is different yeah. live yeah yeah i would like aside from the obvious belgian bands that we just mentioned that were also like going really hard in these same years yeah um i would definitely like like to mention uh Shoot from holland because cool. um those dudes were on some other shit you know it was just like we often play with them they had their very own thing going it was so unique very musical as well like there was a lot of musicality in their songs like a certain skill of songwriting an, an approach that was very different like a really like wild energy as well like sometimes they when it clicked, it really clicked and they were just awesome, you know, just a great band to see live. And sometimes like they get overlooked when we look back, you know, but um, they were one of the best bands of that era for sure. 
Cedric, Vince, bands you guys played with in this era who you think live you saw and were like, wow. 2004 five. Yeah. I mean, we played, we played with so many bands and like, it was, it was always fun to see like a really good band. And like, like, like Bjorn said, we weren't like competitive in the, in the way that we didn't like, were jealous of other people getting the light of day or how do you, how do you say it? Sure. No. Yeah. You, you didn't need the spotlight. You just, you were trying to be as good as you possibly could be. It's hard. It's hard to like, to to talk about like other bands, but we we would play with a lot of American bands that would just like really kill it. And like, we would personally be a fan of, but like, I haven't like given this a lot of thought to be honest, but like, I remember one of like uh, for in Europe, like uh, you had born from pain, which at the time was like a real force, you know, like they, they were definitely like one of the real good bands that really took it super serious. They were a little too professional. Like be, they also wanted to be professional, but like, sure. But you know what I mean? But, uh, and then like, uh, like we would play with down to nothing. Like one of like, this, that was like the, the origin of like our friendship with, with those dudes. And like, they, yeah. they would be awesome live. And like so many bands we would play with that we were just like fans of on stage and like next, like we were really click with and like, yeah. Cedric, how about you? Yeah. I kind of agree with everything that was said. Um, I think, um, Exactly like American touring bands that would come, they they would have that rotation in them um, because they were touring, they were a unit. And I think that was something that was always like something we tried to also achieve, hmm. which was maybe not that easy because we were less doing like longer tours, which was less possible. But um, to be like this or this band gave us a run for the money, that wasn't our mindset at all, actually. So. Okay. We were like just stoked to be friends with people who were making awesome music. That was like one of the main things for us, like one of the most important things about Rise and Fall in general, that we could share a stage and and, and play music on the same night as a band we were fans of, you know, like fans is a horrible, horrible word. But we do you appreciate? No, I think that's the right word, you know? Um, a master conversationalist and you seem to know everyone. How did that come to be for you, Bjorn? Cause I, I think rise and fall all collectively reflect that, but you had a part in that as well. That's a good question. Yeah. I, I think from, it, it might be like the, the most cliche uh, story of all time, you know, cause when I discovered hardcore for me, it was like the place, you know what I mean? It was the first place where I felt at ease, where I could actually like talk to people without feeling like a total freak. And and that kind of continued throughout the time in in in, in Rise and Fall. And afterwards as well, you just you get to meet so many like like-minded people, and it kind of comes naturally, I think. I don't know. I, I enjoy talking to people, that's for sure. Uh I really enjoy learning and, and getting to 
understand people's perspectives and the like the band like is a vehicle for for that as well you get to meet people from all over the, the place and first it was all over belgium then all over europe then all over the world and i just find it like generally interesting <laughs> i don't know yo uh that's yeah well said that's uh we're moving towards into oblivion okay you have not are you have you are you doing any long extensive tours in this period Cedric, do you remember? I, I think I, I think I forget. Well, with how There's much not- we toured, we toured with 100 Demons, which was like I think two weeks for us, and then I believe every summer we would do like ten days. Right. Well, let's I not think- forget. There's not that much time between Helmout and Into Oblivion. There's, right. I think, there's a year. That's right. A year and a half. Yeah. A year and a half. Yeah. And- Cedric, sorry. I don't I don't know exactly when we started to write into Oblivion, but it was straight after Hellmouth. So it might have even been before the record got released and like after we uh, were in the studio. But um, I felt that a switch flipped pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I very distinctively also remember when we were writing the first songs of Into Oblivion, um, I think the, the the kind of songwriting mechanics were kind of like switching. It was more of a spontaneous thing. Um, we were more feeding off of energy, uh, which translated um, yeah into the songs, um, and that all felt very organic and natural. Um, and I remember us being like very uh, very excited and very stoked about how those songs were shaping up. And as Finn said, we would almost immediately play them live because, well, playing live was obviously at the center of what we wanted to do and what was important to us. And those uh, songs were going to put us on a new level that we felt like right away. So I also remember like one of the first times we played um, Fork Tongues, it was so... uh, such a release to play that, get that out there. Um, And then once we had like the first songs, it kind of, we realized the task at hand because we had like three or four songs. They were, we thought they were pretty great. And we knew we had to follow through for the entire record. And that kind of put some stress on it, you know, because also at that period, writing a song is very much, well, you, you're based around riffs, you know, you get a cool riff and then you do something with that. But um, not every riff you write is as great, but you kind of want it to be. So, yes. so you will get in these situations, like you have like half a song and then it would be all right. And now we got to have this killer riff. And then, I feel the pressure <laughs> of coming up <laughs> with that one riff, but um, yeah, I think I think the songwriting did um, came by very organically um, and spontaneously. Uh, it almost felt sometimes like it just fell from the sky, um, and I also really enjoyed writing like that because that really captured. Um, captured as, as best actually. And I know later on in 
uh, and the rise and fall story that would uh, lead to some frustration um, in future records because, but it, for Into Oblivion, it just came together like that, actually. So with Into Oblivion, who, how is the songwriting going? You know, because I think you said with Hellmouth, Vince, you had a lot of those songs already. It sounds like with this one, it's a much more collaborative process. You're working things out more together, but it's coming together spontaneously. Um, so what was that process like to, to Vince and Cedric? And and then also, were there... Because I, I sonically, I'm hearing some new influences kind of being infused. So what, what were you pulling from towards this record that maybe was different than prior material? I think uh, one of the major things is that there's a lot more metal metal into uh, in in this record because like at the time like i think cedric was like super into entombed uh if i'm not mistaken so like there's there's definitely like a lot of that into in there in the i'm keep saying into because it's into oblivion but <laughs> in that record um but like the the, the whole idea to was to like to keep our influences which as they were but like just like put like so much more into it and i think during the writing for into oblivion we we switched drummers like um after the hundred the hundred demons tour which was in october of 2004 uh which was a couple of months after Helmut came out we we our original drummer Murph couldn't do the tour and we had we 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 brought in JP who then drummed on the next two records and uh he was like a, li- a little bit more he had more power uh mm-hmm. for for playing uh, playing uh, drums and he enabled us to be a harder band and to be he also like had like a a more experimental like background maybe like you know what i mean like uh, he he wanted to do like a little more weirder stuff he like he was open with that big converge fan uh, Mm -hmm. you know and like it everything just went really naturally we we weren't like all right let's let's like let's incorporate like this entombed uh, uh, idea or it was just it was just natural it was, just kind of it was very in. natural and we were we were, we also had this i mean at the time it was a dream we were like all right let's let's try and like and get a record out on that wish like 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 or like at least let, let's let's maybe let's ask kurt if he wants to mix it that was like the first step like we were writing like I mean, if we could get Kurt to mix this, that would be super awesome. And then we got in touch with him and uh, he was down to mix it. And uh, also we, by then we got picked up by Reflections Records, which was a serious European label at the time, you know, like, um, and from that moment on, we were just like, realizing the stuff we wanted to do with that record you know and i think bjorn has some more input oh yeah <laughs> no but uh not to interrupt but um 
what I also remember is like with the the, the changing of of drummers, like Murph was a more of a groove based drummer, you know, and, and JP had the ability to play uh, faster. He had like this wilder, a bit looser like way of playing, uh, which definitely like had an impact on us writing songs because we wanted to do like a lot faster. We wanted to go faster at times and then and, and change it up. Um, that was important as well. And musically, I think one of the things that's super important is that all of us are like music nerds, you know, like we love like a really like wide range of music. And I think at the time of, of, of when we were writing into oblivion, we also found a way to to take influences from from a lot of different kinds of music and 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 integrate them in, into our sound. And we were digging deeper as well because obviously we, we loved integrity, we loved Chromax, stuff like that. But we were also like digging a lot deeper and thinking like, well, what were they inspired by? So we like, ended up listening to, to stuff like Discharge, you know, to stuff like, uh, of course, the Bad Brains, uh, Motorhead, like everything, you know, like, and, and that really like influenced us as well. And we were, what we also did, and that was JP that really brought that idea to the table. We had a bunch of labels that wanted to work with us, but we decided to actually like fund the whole record ourselves and, and record the record like with our own money and then to like shop it around, which was like a an approach that the three of us had considered, but it was something that JP like brought to the table and it was actually a really good idea because we had a finished product with, with uh, Kurt doing the mix. And then we were just like, okay, let's, let's see, let's see what happens. Right? Yeah, exactly. What I wanted to add, um, like in terms of influence, um, at the time, I think I was, when it was 2004 or five, I was like 22, 23. So uh, I was also, and like, we were also discovering more music, uh, like Bjorn just said. Um, and I, I guess um, by listening to different types of more extreme music and we were discovering more like vintage metal, you know, like more Black Sabbath, Pentagram, that kind of stuff. And that kind of resonated in um, in like our songwriting or like the, the, the vibe or the intensity that we wanted to express. And unlike um, and, and, and other um, bands at the time or like before us that were uh, influenced by metal who was typically more like Slayerish kind of stuff um, or Metallica, we 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 kind of more went to sonically more of a root of like um i don't know like some fucked up acdc or motorhead and um that kind of that just seemed to work and it kind of um uh came in like naturally and then i also remember um buying a new amp that then kind of was more akin to that sound and every just little little step like little thing we did kind of like gravitated towards that uh sound um plus i think it was also uh in kind of reaction against um hellmout sounded like for us pretty clean we found it was a little dry so we definitely knew we wanted a dirty record 
So we, we pushed that direction, definitely. The man's eating a snack. Yes, snacking. <laughs> very, very fitting. Um, while, while we have a snacker. Bjorn, what, <clears throat> what was it like shopping a record out? Because you, you actually, like you said, you had worked at Good Life. And this was an unfamiliar process for you. You guys have paid for this record yourselves. You, you know, you're now trying yeah. to find someone or some, some label or multiple labels to put it out what where did that fall for you like was that did that process feel weird because you were kind of it seems like you probably had the most contacts but were you the person who drove that process or is it jp it was both of us i would say maybe even vince as well because we all knew like a bunch of people but we had like amongst ourselves like the the labels that we wanted to go for we wanted reflections in europe and we wanted that was in the states. That's what we wanted, and that's what happened in the end. The 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 minor hiccup was that uh, because we were good friends with Rob from Born from Pain, he was working for a, a label called GSR at the time. We kind of like well, we promised to do the record with them, like in an earlier stage when we were like we just started writing uh, songs for Into Oblivion, and then. Um, but then getting further into the process of the record, we kind of like didn't feel as good about that anymore. And we just wanted to to have all, you know, everything in our own hands. So that's why we decided to to fund the record ourselves and 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 and, and aim for reflections and aim for, for Death Wish and, and both worked out. And we had a label in Japan pick it up as well, if I remember correctly. And in Australia as well. So um yeah. Not cool. too shabby. Not too shabby for a bunch of Belgians. <laughs> it's the uh, big takeover. My mind. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the GSR thing. Was that difficult? Those conversations aren't always fun. Was it hard yeah, to tell a friend, say, hey, we think we're going to do something else? Yeah, it, it wasn't fun. And we kind of felt bad about it, but we knew like for the band's sake that it, it would make no sense. So um, in the end, like it was stressful or, or kind of painful for a bit, but we all turned out to be like, friends, you know, still you know, didn't, you know, fuck up any relationships in the long run. So that's cool. <clears throat> so so uh, Death Wish and Reflections um, have decided they're going to do the record. I want to kind of flesh that out a little bit, but with the recording of the record, I don't want to kind of glaze over it. This record came out 15 years ago, as we talked about. That's crazy to me. Yeah, it's insane. Um, in my opinion, it's one of the best records of that decade. Uh, is there anything that you think people don't know about it about the recording or the process that you think they should know? Yeah, I mean, I've been talking a lot, but I do know uh, <laughs> there's a few <laughs> things for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think one thing that gets lost a little bit is that we actually recorded in Belgium uh, at two different studios. And then a friend of ours that was with us when we recorded, Vincent, he flew to the States to mix it with Kurt. So we weren't there. 
ourselves. So we were just like waiting around Vince's computer, waiting for those files to come in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and listen to those mixes. That's uh, something that people will forget. It's, it's, it's a detail, of course. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's part of the, the process of how the record came to be. Um, and another thing that I know Cedric and myself, especially at the time, like we were super stoked to put like these little like nuggets in the record. You know, like um, there's a there's this uh, sample in um, what song is that, Cedric? The dance example. Mm. Lost among the lost. Yeah, exactly. In that song, there's you can hear someone talking lost, yeah. about about God. Like, do I believe in God? Do I believe in Satan? <laughs> That's actually Danzig from the from the Danzig home video. We were yeah. like super excited to put that in there, and. And to 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 my surprise, like I don't think anybody ever asked us. I was like, "What the hell? This is the coolest shit ever." You know what I mean? <laughs> that stuff, the stuff that matters the most to you, often is the stuff that no one ever asks. So yeah, yeah, it's so strange. Um, there's also um, like you can hear like a, a, a crowd like roaring in one of the songs. That was from the Slayer right, live record, Decade of Aggression. Those like those were the things that we put in there, just like because we we love those bands, we wanted to put in these like like hidden layers. There's the I mentioned this uh, when we were talking about Into Oblivion uh, on uh, Instagram, but um, the the guest vocals in the song are uh, the Void. Mm-hmm. There are actually uh, our friend Stan who sings in uh, Reproach, also sings in Blind of Faith, and um, his vocals sound a lot like Human Furnace, and people often thought. It was human furnace, um, which is cool, of course. Yeah. Um, so th- those are things that I don't think like a lot of people realize, and well, now you Sadly. now they know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so last week I re-listened to that record a few times, and um, because I always saw it as um, well, the, the the this moment, this picture in time when we recorded it um, with um, all of its good, but also with a lot of the. Um, yeah, things I thought we had wrong or that I had wrong or I wish we had differently. But um, re-listening to it now, uh, because you asked, maybe I'm jumping, but you asked the question about Helmet, what would we change? And if you would ask that about Into Oblivion, I'm going to answer it right now. Please. Um, I would say I would say <laughs> nothing. And I think, um, yeah, maybe like a year ago, I would have, could have, even giving you a list of things that were wrong. Like when I, for a long time, when I listened to Live in Sin, I could hear that my guitars are not in tune and stuff like that. So, but um, also um, one of the things we strive for at the time was to have it sound extreme and very massive. And um, well, I guess we did, but um yeah, maybe maybe sometimes you thought it was too extreme or the record was lacking dynamics, but um, to it now, um, I mean, it's still an um, an intense listen. But um, I can I can yeah I I can I can see that through through that criticism of myself actually, Sorry. and um, yeah, because when you're especially at that time when you're writing, uh, when you're recording and you're young and you're really, uh, obviously you're involved, but you just see everything that was different in your mind from what it became. And it's 
you just, yeah, I remember. I mean, I love the record. I loved it at the time, obviously, but there was stuff that was just so frustrating to hear. Vince. But I'm past that now. I'm past that. Good. Vince, tell me something that I don't know about Into Oblivion. <clears throat> Jesus. You miss Bjorn stuff because I think you had to go to the bathroom. That's okay. Yeah. Um, we can't really say many, many things that, like, I think I... You might need to edit this. I uh, really don't have much. <laughs> oh, much. okay. Okay, wait. This is a good thing, actually. Like, um, there we go. People think this record, or like maybe a lot of people, because it came out on Reflections first in Europe, and then that wish uh, put it out. Like, it wasn't like set in stone, even when the record came out in Europe. That Death Wish was gonna do it automatically in the states like there was like this kind of uncertainty and one of the main reasons we chose to work with reflections instead of gsr was that like they didn't have some kind of contract that that wouldn't allow us to be released in a u.s on a u.s based label on a, on a different label and like <clears throat> having that record out in the states on a on a legit label that like could really like help us out there that was one of the main things for us because we 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 were confident in that record and uh, confident about that record and like we definitely wanted to go play in the states on that record and like JP was a really uh, big factor in that because he knew Jake and they were talking and um, like we recorded the record with, uh, with Kurt and then like Jake did the artwork. Uh, we, 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 we had the record mixed uh, by Kurt and then Jake did the artwork. Sorry. And uh, then JP uh, kept in touch with, with, with Jake uh all the time and um at a certain moment um it, it it the email came from that wish that they they wanted to put it out because like before they they had ventured into releasing uh european records like the nine record and there's there's another record on that wish razor crusade. Uh, razor crusade the dutch band which were not that well received like commercially, I think. That's right. Yes, correct. You know, like to be honest, like you know, like they're they're good records, but like they they didn't they like, didn't they didn't have a financial success. Ex- yeah. Well, I don't know if Into Oblivion had a financial success, but like we 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 we, we sold a couple of records there. You couple know, like, two or three. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Small handful. Um, like <laughs> like getting uh getting our band to the states was just like a dream of us as 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 when we just started out doing this band and like without that wish it wouldn't have been possible or maybe there would have been another label but like they 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 were really like the the ultimate goal for us we didn't like think like we our ambition stopped that was like 
you know, like and, yeah, and our ambition yeah. didn't stop, but that was like that. That was like the peak. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like we were like, if we can get this record out on Deathwish, that's like the sickest shit ever. And 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 then like naturally, the the opportunity or the the ability to 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 play the U.S. came from that, and then everything like snowballed from there. You know what I mean? That's yeah. So here I have the follow up. Let's go back to reflections. Who who found out about reflections first? How how did that go? Like who was talking to them and how did it go? Okay, we're going to do the record with reflections because in 2020, <clears throat> I think it's hard for people to know just like I was talking about, you know, bands and things like that. Reflections was a very big deal. It was a label, they did a big zine. The zine was everywhere in the states. It was awesome. It was one of the, it was one of the best zines in the world. It was so well done, and they put out a, a lot of records. Some of which were very good, and some of which just were cool that they existed. Who was who worked out the whole thing with reflections? It was partly, uh, yeah. I mean, we knew uh, Johan and and Suzanne for a while already. Just like by proximity and and even uh, the deal that I record with them as well but um they were just like you know europe is is so different from the states and it's very hard for a european label to to have an impact all over europe so a lot of a lot of labels stay local because we have all these different like languages and cultures that are slightly different and people don't always have the vision you know on, on how to make they they should pop on a on a broader on a on a wider scale, and and they were definitely like working very hard with that label, and they were smart enough to to license a bunch of good records from from Deathwish, for example, um, and and they built up their name that way. A lot of good records at the time, like you said, that they did Striking Distance in Europe, they did mm-hmm. um, some AN stuff in Europe, they did the first Terror record, so. It was a logical uh, choice for us, and yeah, I think it was mostly myself and probably JP that finished like the more business, the business uh, like side of things. But it was a pretty smooth process. They were very excited at the time to be working with us too, so it was a very smooth like thing to work out. So now, who was the first person to get the the email? I guess from Deathwish that they were going to do the record in the states because it seems like like you guys said there was a level of excitement internally as a band. Like, if Deathwish can put this record out in the states, that means something. Yeah, I, I, it was. I think it was JP, and then he called everybody like one second later. (laughs) (laughs) Were were you excited? What, like, what was that feeling? Well, excited, (laughs) excited in like an extreme form, you know, like insanely excited <laughs> to, I mean, and, and that even is an understatement. I was yeah. just about to jump out of my own skin or something. Like <laughs> super, super excited. Yeah. They were the coolest label at the time. No question. All right. No question. It felt, it felt also like some kind of confirmation, you know, like we were actually doing something cool. We were actually a, a real band and 
Uh, also, like growing up, uh, I mean, growing up, like uh, becoming a band, we would often play with American bands, and you would always be that European band. And even if you would tour or you would play uh, in different parts of Europe, you'd always have that kind of a feeling. And being signed to a label as that wish changed that perception. And we felt that really, and we knew we we, we knew that was like. Um, yeah, we were going to feel that, uh, which he did. Yeah. 